January 14th. And now, as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. And here's an overview of what we'll read there. If you start to pray for laborers, beware, you may become an answer to your own prayer. You pray, and then you are sent out. Now, some of these instructions applied mainly to the apostles, and some to those serving just before the Lord's return. However, spiritual principles are here for all of God's servants. Christ calls and Christ equips. Listen, if the Lord calls you, He will equip you for the task He wants you to fulfill. You're not out there on your own making it up as you go. No, God is instructing and God is filling you and making you able. It's His grace, His empowering presence. It has well been said, the will of God does not send you where the grace of God cannot keep you. So, you know, the 11th commandment uh, certainly comes in here. Thou shalt not sweat it. God is in control. It's a wonderful privilege to be an ambassador for the king. But there is a price to pay. We are sheep among wolves, sword bearers, and cross bearers. The world hates us because it hates him. And then uh, Christ wants to give us freely to others. We actually are in the process of pouring our lives out for others. And now, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. January 14th, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus sent the twelve disciples out with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money with you. Don't carry a traveler's bag with an extra coat and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy man and stay in his home until you leave for the next town. When you are invited into someone's home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. If a village doesn't welcome you or listen to you, Shake off the dust of that place from your feet as you leave. I assure you, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off on the judgment day than that place will be. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be as wary as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and beaten in the synagogues and you must stand trial before governors and kings, because you are my followers. 
This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Yes, to witness to the world. When you are arrested, don't worry about what to say in your defense, because you'll be given the right words at the right time. For it won't be you doing the talking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death. Fathers will betray their own children, and children will rise against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because of your allegiance to me. But those who endure to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I assure you that I, the Son of Man, will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. We rejoice in our sufferings. This is one of the key ways to know that you're a Christian. Christians are given a unique ability. We rejoice in our sufferings. The Bible talks about it so often, and, and many places actually says it, it makes it a, a one of the ways in which you know you're a Christian. What the Bible says throughout is the ability to rejoice in suffering is not only a wonderful gift, a unique gift, but it's also a test. What does it mean to rejoice in your sufferings? He doesn't say, he says, a Christian rejoices in suffering. He doesn't say, a Christian rejoices for suffering. It's saying, on the one hand, to be a Christian doesn't mean that we don't experience grief, that we're not cast down. Paul says, we're perplexed but not in despair. We're cast down but not destroyed. Christians are cast down. Christians experience grief. Not only that, I believe the word in means more than just then we rejoice even though there's sufferings around us. I believe that if anything, the gospel actually moves Christians to be more touched by grief and the suffering of life in the world than you were before. We have got something that we can rejoice not only during suffering, not only does suffering not have to go away for us to rejoice in it, that's the glory of being a Christian, but not only do we have something to rejoice during suffering, but we have something to rejoice in that actually is enhanced by suffering. That we rejoice in it better, that we're driven to it, that we understand it better. I tell you, becoming a Christian, getting a gospel framework, makes you more able to handle grief. In fact, if anything, it makes you more able to finally see what's out there. You have to have hope to rejoice in in order to really be in the suffering. Because we have something to rejoice in, we find in our sufferings, we really suffer, we really grieve, we really are cast down. There's a sense in which Christians have a capacity for sadness they didn't have before. When we suffer, the suffering produces perseverance, the perseverance produces character, and the character produces hope. It's during suffering that we say, oh my gosh, I am hurting so bad, and yet this is just a pinprick compared to what he suffered for me. 
And what that does is it enables you to see if you already believe that Jesus died for you, if you already believe that, then the hope that you used to have in it during suffering gets heavier, gets stronger, gets more vivid. He says, as we suffer and as we persevere, you don't have to. You can just give up. You can say, why me? But if you, if you persevere and you hold on to what he's done and you look at what he's done and you go back to your roots and you go back to your resources, you'll find your hope grows. Because it's when you suffer that you understand Jesus' sufferings in new ways and his sufferings become more valuable to you than ever. It drives me to my roots. It drives me to see what Jesus has done for me. I grab hold of these things and through the Holy Spirit, they shine out like never before. Jesus came to glory through suffering and that's the reason why suffering and glory are always linked together. The suffering actually gets us more deeply into our joy than before and that's how we grow. See, you're not going to get to character and to hope unless you go through perseverance. And the word character means to be tested and refined. When you suffer, your faith, more precious than gold, is being refined. When you go into the furnace, you find there's only one hope that can handle the sufferings of life. Only one hope will stay put. The furnace will always go after you depending on where your hope is. There is only one hope. There's only one thing on which you can build your life which can never be shaken. It's your love for him and his love for you. Psalm 12, verses 1 through 8. We'll read about David's words. In the previous psalm, David saw the foundations failing. In this one, the faithful were vanishing from the earth. The godly remnant was getting smaller and smaller, and David was feeling very much alone. No wonder he cried out, Help, Lord! We'll read about man's words. What made David conclude? That godliness was on the decline? Well, the way people spoke. David heard flattering words, proud words, and oppressive words, and he knew that God was displeased. In our modern age of communication, are you able to discern what's true and right? When you speak, is it communication or manipulation? And we'll read about God's words. God's word is pure, proved, and preserved and you can depend on it. So much of what man says is cheap and temporary and manipulative. But God's word is like pure silver that's valuable and lasting. Let your words be controlled by His word, and God will make your words valuable. Psalm chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. For the choir director, the Psalm of David to be accompanied by an eight-stringed instrument. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and insincere hearts. May the Lord bring their flattery to an end, 
and silenced their proud tongues. They say, We will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them, as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation, even though the wicked strut about and evil is praised throughout the land. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Happy is the person who finds wisdom and gains understanding. For the profit of wisdom is better than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her.